If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by ACAST. How are you doing there? It's podcast time. It is Tuesday podcast, you know, the podcast that tries to make economics explicable and digestible and hopefully a little bit more relevant. There's a lot going on, a lot of interesting things going on the last couple of days, which will actually frame lots of people's lives for the next couple of years. So let's talk with them. John, how are you, my man? I'm very good. I'm very good. You know, of course, on Thursday, we spoke about the Leaving Cert. We did. And education, which I enjoyed talking about. But today is the day that makes sense. So the Leaving Cert results came out on Friday. Last Friday, yeah. My Izzy did very well. She's very happy. Great. But it means that she's officially reduced to a number now. And today is CAO Day, the day that they offer the college places based on the points. So we don't know what those points mean until the CAO tells us. We don't even know who they are. They could be a doctor, a lawyer, or an economist. Oh, God forbid. God well, you should you should advise her against that. Tell her well, that. I've already lost one child to economics. economics. You have. You might lose two. My God. Actually, it's funny you said reduced to a number. I'm going to, I'm going to brag here. Go the on. last time I was talking to Brian Eno. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> but we were talking about education. And Eno's an amazing person, amazing yeah. thinker. Big old brain on him. Big brain on him. But he was talking about exactly this, that people are being reduced to numbers from the education system. So mm. everything that they were socially, emotionally, intellectually, physically, that person comes out of a 15-year experience, which is a 15-year experience. Yeah. You know, you go to school at, what, four years old, you end up at 19, come out. All those experiences that that person has had all the generosity they've given, all the love they've given, all the fantastic contributions they've made, and an amazing variety of areas are reduced to a number. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I'm a 400-pointer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah and that's yeah. kind of pathetic. Oh, it's so way, wrong on so many levels. Yeah, it's just wrong on every level. And we, we, we spoke about it. And we, but we, isn't it interesting? Because you said, like the, so the final opinion about you, given by our system, is that you are a number. Yes. And that's, and it's also... And then there's inflation and deflation in those of, numbers, of those numbers too, yeah. but the meaning of those numbers. But it's, the also, value of those it's, numbers. Also, it's also an interesting, we won't riff on this today, but I think it's an interesting way to contemplate, is the numerization of the world. Yeah. 
that because the world is so obsessed with comparing and comparatives yeah. and and also reductionism, that basically there is the kind of the tyranny of numbers going on, that everything needs to be in some way weighted or made relevant to other things by numbers. And in fact, what we're talking about is delightfully beautiful human beings. Yeah, exactly. Who are so much more than numbers. But there you go. But anyway, Izzy is done. Izzy is done. But of course, then, you know, then it's the next phase of life, which is really exciting, of course, going to college and whatever she and everyone else ends up doing. And then they come out of college and they start their work life. And then they are faced with housing. Yeah, well, actually, there's a very interesting thesis, political thesis, called Elite Overproduction. And it's written by uh, a Russian, original Russian, but now American historian called Turchin, T-U-R-C-H-I-N. And his basic idea, and I think it's fantastically interesting, we'll touch on it now, but we'll go into it later on, is that society's become... Historically, he's, he's, he's basically, he's a biologist. Mm. He's into data. He lo- he's looking back at thousands of years of history uh, to the extent we can do that. And he's saying that when societies become most unstable is at the moment when they begin what he calls elite overproduction. So that we produce, societies produce too many people who have elite aspirations. They go to university, they go to, they do masters, they do yeah. all these things, yeah, yeah. right? They yeah. do all the right things in order to join the elite. And then the society, the economy, isn't sufficiently robust to give them what they want. So they be- top heavy. So they become totally disenfranchised, but totally disillusioned yeah. with the world. And they then become the ferment, the the incendiary device that kicks off revolutions. So his idea is that revolutions and instability never, ever, ever come from the bottom of the Marxian view of the lumpen proletariat getting pissed off and attacking the Winter Palace. He's saying, no, no, what actually happens is, he's talking about the French Revolution, he's going back to Roman history, he says that societies get into this situation where they produce too many people who want to be part of the elite who feel that they merit, remember this meritocracy we yeah, talked about, yeah. you know, and who want to be part of the elite, who feel they're part of the elite, and then they get into the real world and they become be- betrayed by an economy they can't deliver. Now, in Ireland, I think the area that we can't deliver in is the housing. So imagine, look, you are, you did really well in your leaving search, you go to university. Everybody tells you this is the right thing to do. You do really well in university. Yeah. You do a master's. You do really well in that. You get a job in an area that everyone says is the right thing to do. Mm. And then suddenly you find yourself living in the box room of your parents' semi-D. Yeah. And you can't afford to move out. And then you think to yourself, I have been betrayed. Someone's taking the piss out of me because I'm educated to acquire a certain status. And I can't even get myself a flat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and this causes a huge negative feedback loop in politics where it's the elite, the people who felt that they should have had something who feel betrayed and they become radical and radicalized. Yeah. And that's what links the leaving cert to what we want to talk about this week, which is the government's plan for housing called Housing for All, which we're going to talk about in a second. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So, at long last... The government have published their plan for housing, yeah. which actually on the face of it looks good. But give us, what's your well, take I, on my it? My take is there's a lot to like in the plan. Right. right? Now, well, that's good. Well, no, I think there is. And you've got to, you know, you don't normally to, hear that from you. No, I know. I know you don't normally <laughs> hear that. But like, you know, there's a lot to like in the sense that what we're going to do, the plan is huge, right? It's about 140 pages. But what we're going to do in this podcast is focus on the supply side, which I think is the real problem. Okay. But the first thing to say is that this is a government or a series of political parties that realize that if they don't get housing right, they're toast, they're gone. So this is kind of their Stalingrad. They basically realize that if they don't win this fight, they're gone. Yeah. And Sinn Féin win. Yeah. And therefore, A, they've got to get it right, and B, they've got to accelerate dramatically the provision of housing. Now, do you remember we talked about the buyer strike a while ago? Yeah. Yeah, What the government have acknowledged right now by this particular piece of work, and it's it's really good. I mean, I've read the whole thing, and I think it's really in the right direction, is, but they've acknowledged that this is the worst time ever to buy a house, right? Yeah. So the question then is, if you are a young- Don't need them to tell us that. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, now that they've admitted it, right? That if you're a young person waiting to buy a house, and you've got your mortgage approval, strike, go and strike, step out. Because what the government has said is, we are going to ensure that this country is going to build 33,000 houses. I'll talk to you about whether that's the right figure or not in a minute. And the quality of what you will get for your money will improve over the next few years, right? So what it's basically saying to everybody who's panicking now is, don't panic, step out of the market, wait if you're renting, or if you happen to be living with your parents, which is a pain in the arse, Mm. but wait because it's not so much the price is going to fall, but the quality of what you're going to get is going to rise. Yes. So if you are that person who is looking at a third-rate place, who's in competition with hundreds of other first-time buyers, who is now contemplating spending money they never imagined having to spend to live in an area they never imagined wanting to live in, which is the case. 
just stop, right? That's the first message, right? Which is that the buyer's strike that we talked about has now been validated by the government saying, this is the worst we've ever seen. Yeah. And what that means is the money that you pay at this stage, you will waste an enormous amount of money and you will have what they call in economics, buyer's remorse, right? Buyer's remorse is this idea that the minute you sign the contracts, you start to think, oh, Jesus, did I really do that? Yes. Yeah, but the yeah. problem with buyer's remorse, as you and I know, in a mortgage, it's a 30-year process. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so the first thing is the government has said, the market is awful. Now, if the market is awful, then the logical conclusion is stay away from it. That's the first thing. Yeah, sure. The second thing is that the government are saying, we've got to build 33,000 houses, which is a lot. Mm. But it's not a lot given where I think we need to be. I think we need to be more aggressive and build more. That's, 30, that's 33,000 houses per year for the next... Into perpetuity. For the next 10 or 15 years. Right. Right. But I, I think that that's about right. Mm. But I think it's too low. Why? But because I think you, you, if, you look, if you look at housing demand is a function of the amount of people now who want to buy houses, who are living in what they would call second rate options. So yeah. with their parents or renting or whatever, right? They want rent. The natural increase in the population, which is much, much higher than the government seemed to have mm. suggested. The dramatic change in household structure here. So when we were kids, most households had five people in them, right? Yeah. Very yeah. unusual. The European average is 1.3, right? And we are now moving down towards that. We're still about halfway there. So what's going to happen over the next 20 years is that Irish households are going to get smaller. In the sense, more people want to live alone, less families living together, all that sort of stuff. And of course, you've got what they call obsolescence, which is the amount of houses that are just simply falling down, that are uninhabitable. My own back-of-the-envelope calculations, which I made a couple of months ago, I would think we're looking more at about forty to 45,000 homes needed every year, because I think the population is going to increase quite dramatically. But that as it may, let's look, let's give a bit of credit where credit is due, right? And I said, there's a lot of things that we should be at least suggesting, look, they've been listening to the podcast. Right? <laughs> well, okay. we claim that yeah, anyway. Of course yeah. we claim it. Okay, yeah. okay. Okay, break it down for me. Yeah, well, the first thing is is that the devil is really in the detail, right? So what they've said is we are going to introduce a vacancy tax, right? Remember we talked about the dereliction tax? Yeah. Same sort of idea. Now, they haven't announced what that tax is going to be, and that's the devil in the detail. Right. And, and that needs to be substantial. And the Department of Finance will decide what that is. But the concept is good, which is we are going to tax dereliction, we are going to tax vacancies. So that's yeah. the first thing. That's good. The second thing is they've got a, call, a thing called the town first plan, which is they're going to make available money to refurbish right. old buildings. So what that means is that they have stopped this idea of the way in which Ireland is going to expand is we're going to build and build and build in greenfield sites yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Now what they're saying is, no, we're going to build in brownfield sites, which is urban density, which is one good thing. The second thing to appreciate is that Ireland is the least densely populated country in Europe, in Western Europe, and we have the highest house prices. So that means everything is self-inflicted, yeah. right? So we have inflicted upon ourselves this damage so we can fix it ourselves. So the first thing is vacancy. That's good. Second thing is that we've inflicted this damage upon ourselves. 
That's good. They acknowledge this. Third thing is they've come up with, there was a thing called the Kenny Report, John, written in the 1970s. And this was, he was a judge and he was asked to give his opinion about in the 70s, land prices started to rise quite rapidly. Right. And he said, look, it's very, very simple. He said, if you have agricultural land or commercial property land or something that's not residential, the minute you rezone that land to residential, the owner of the land gets a massive windfall gain because the price of the land goes, let's say, from sure, 1 yeah, euro okay. to 10 euros, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So the very process of rezoning, which is a state-sanctioned change in the way in which the land used, yeah. the upside doesn't go to the state. The upside all goes to the private owner. So for years and years, this has been a huge problem in Ireland because what happens is if you own land in Dublin, let's for example, or Cork or whatever, and it's the same goes from all over the world, mm. and you sit in the land and then you get it rezoned, mm. suddenly your income has gone up enormously. Your wealth has gone up enormously, right? Overnight. Overnight, right? Yeah. Now, why should that be? You haven't done anything for the land to go up. You Not by the sweat of your labor, just by the serendipity of owning it. Yeah. So what they're doing now is they've redusted off this Kenny report. And what they're doing now is they're saying a certain split is going to go back to the state. So let's say the land goes from one euro to 10 euros per meter, let's yeah. say. Right? Yeah, yeah. In the old days, the landlord or the owner got all that nine euro upside. The state's not going to now going to claw back quite a bit of that. I think it should be substantial. Yeah, absolutely. Because it does two things. One is it makes available money for building social housing. Yeah. So in actual fact, you crystallize the gain for society. But the other thing is it prevents hoarding. Yeah. Because what happens with people is they're saying, well, if I can just sit in this land and get it rezoned and rezoned and don't build on it, I become rich. And because the Irish banks have always lent money against land, you can turn that illiquid zoned land, which you don't want to use, into cash by borrowing from the bank. So the banks facilitate creating liquidity. There's a whole drone class in Ireland lives off this. And this reporter said, no, we're going to stop that. And I think that's good. But again, the devil is in the detail. How much is that going to be? Is it going to be 2%, 5%, 60%, 70%, all that sort of stuff. So what I've always said is you need to make land usable and encourage people to use it. But I mean, they're going in the right direction, John. So yeah, there've yep. been lots and lots and lots of media stuff said, oh, this is awful, and this is terrible. But let's give them some credit. Because ultimately, ultimately they need to fix this. Because they... Of course, yeah. They will end up redundant if they don't fix it. Yeah. So, you know, that's good. They've also introduced changing... They said they're going to change the planning process so that you can't actually... Do you know this idea of nimbyism? Yeah. Not in my backyard. Yeah, but I've yeah. always said the bananism <laughs> build absolutely nothing anywhere near anything. In fact, the, the, the great one is this cave is the new political philosophy of the middle class. What's that? Which is citizens against virtually everything. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like so it. the cavemen come out and they're like, don't build here. And even behind here where we are, there is an extraordinary movement Against, oh, against a school. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. It's just weird, you know. Like, so I'm 
I'm I'm a big believer in yimbyism. Yes, in my backyard. <laughs> I want because that's what you want. You want life. You want people. You want stuff. Exactly, you want activity yeah. that creates the community. And away you go. Otherwise, what you want to do is you want to live in a gated community. Yeah, but we know that's awful. So we're the, the Dave McQueen's podcast is a yimbyist <laughs> podcast. So, but again, they said they're going to change. They're going to change the laws with respect to planning. Yeah. So it makes it easier to build. Right. And that doesn't mean you've got a green light to build shite, but you've got to build. Like, let's get to the point. Right. We have a dilemma in Ireland is we don't have enough houses. Right. Yeah. The way you fix this is you build more houses of all sorts. Recently, I heard somebody, some big development of Drobocondra or something, and I think Sinn Féin were saying there was a plan to build 1,600 houses. And Mary Lou MacDonald, who I think is actually quite a good political leader and whatever, she said, oh, that will drive up house prices. And I'm thinking, what? In, in what world does building 1,600 U units, whether you like them or not, drive up house prices? And if you actually believe that, well, then maybe what you should do is bulldoze a random 1,600 houses and see what that does to house prices, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's not, there's no logic. There's a, yeah. there's a huge amount of ideology and stuff. And basically, we got to build, right? Yeah. So I think that these are trying to set a certain stall about building, right? So how much of this money and this funding, because they're talking about four billion, they're making available- Which is, four, which is nothing. We should be- Four we, billion. Yeah, we should be doing 40 billion. Four billion. Four billion. But, Billin, Millins, and Billins. But are and, they... And my surname down in Cork is McWillams. <laughs> but come here, like, how much of that money comes from the ECB? Okay, well, it, it, it will be borrowed by the state. Now, I yeah. think... So one of the other parts of this thing is this called the Land Development Agency, which owns bits of land all around. Okay, the Land Development Agency is a government agency that wants to buy up lots and lots of urban and rural land, but particularly urban land, in order to create portfolios in order then to develop them, right? Yeah. And this is a really good idea. But the question is, where do you get the money? Mm. And now what they're doing is they're going to increase the amount of money that we can borrow. I think four billion is the least of our worries. I think it should be double, triple that, right? Wow. Okay. In order, yeah, because you can borrow at 1%. This is the whole idea of For using, now you can, yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, it doesn't matter. Once you've borrowed the money, you've got the money. I know, so but the are idea. they talking about four billion per year? Yeah, but for I, the but, next but my sense, 10, my sense is that we should not worry about that figure. Why? Because the state is in the position to borrow, and as you know, the ECB has basically said, "Give us your plans, give us your projects, we'll finance them, or if we don't finance them, we'll undertake to actually buy the bonds that you issue." which means the market will finance them. So there is no budget okay. constraint, okay. right? And particularly for Ireland, we're a farty bit of the Eurozone, right? So, <laughs> right. but it's it's a good idea to get the Land Development Agency to buy up land. They've also, do you remember we talked about Dublin Port? Yes. They've also earmarked bits of Dublin Port to be bought Ooh, up. Which is this, a, this is a win, 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 win. These are, these are not Pyrrhic victories. These are absolute victories. So, you know, stand back objectively, I think... The state is trying to do the right thing. Now, clearly, there are some omissions, John. The first one I told you was I don't think they're being aggressive enough in terms yeah. of the amount of houses that yeah. can be built. People say, oh, yeah, we don't have the capacity, et cetera. I would retort to at the height of the Celtic Tiger, we were building 70,000 houses a year. 
Now, we built them in the wrong places. Right, but yeah, what it yeah. shows you is that the construction industry, if it ramps up, can do it. Well, here, I have a very practical question for you then. And it's about the actual construction industry itself yeah. and the labor crisis that we're yeah, experiencing yeah. No, at the moment uh, globally. Yeah. But particularly here, there are a lack of laborers and skilled workers, plumbers, plasterers, blah, blah, blah. There's a lack of them. So yeah. the obvious solution to that is to import them. So that means more immigration which therefore in turn means more housing. Yeah, so that's, the, that's the, I mean, there are capacity constraints yeah. within, there's no doubt of that, right? But there's an expression, which I always believed in, was you should never let the perfect bully the good. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that, you know, if it's a good plan, and if it's going in the right direction, and if people are doing it for the right reasons, and if it's addressing the fundamental problem, which is we don't have enough houses, homes, apartments, what do you mm. want to call them? We shouldn't let the, ah, yeah, but what about this? And, ah, yeah, but what about that? Always, I mean, destroy. I mean, one of the problems with I journalism, agree. I've always felt, not the problem, one of the urges as a journalist is to write the piece that says, nah, 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 I've figured out the flaw in your argument and I'm going to highlight it, Yeah, right? And that's, that's grand because that's part of the trade. However, in the totality, what we're trying to do is prevent what we talked about a minute ago which is this idea of elite overproduction. Yeah. So we're trying to make sure your kids and my kids can live here, right? And it doesn't really matter, as far as I'm concerned, if they're living in one bedroom, buy to rent or rent to buy places or whatever. It doesn't matter really as long as we solve the problem. Mm. And so many people on the left are going to be very fed up with this because it says that as well as state financing, there's always going to be private financing. Yeah. Now, the big debate going on at the moment is, you know, these these property funds, uh, particularly American or British or yeah. even some Irish ones, are going to hoover up all the assets. Well, I mean, it's a fair point because, I mean, you know, with vulture funds buying up full housing estates, you know, people have a hope against these yeah. guys as, as individuals. So, you know, is that part of the plan as well? Like, how do we control or block vulture yeah. funds? Well, I mean, most vulture funds are not involved in Irish property anymore. So vulture funds, mm. th- there's, a, there's a very strange, uh, I mean, remember we had this thing of the avian, you know, the yes. duck fund, right? <laughs> so what a vulture fund is, so the, the classic vulture fund is a fund that I came across years ago called Elliott and Associates, right? Right. New York-based outfit. These are the people who impounded Argentina's airlines in New York on the tarmac in order to get the Argentinian government to pay them. So they were buying. (laughs) So Argentina defaulted, right? So let's say Argentina said, I promise to pay you back $100 and the country defaults. And you buy the bond that on the face of the bond says, I'm going to pay you $100. So you go to the RGs and you say, guys, you owe me $100. And the Argentinians say, well, no, we're only going to give you $30. Right, and the vulture fund says, "Okay, that's fine, that's grand, but you do owe us a hundred because you said you'd pay us a hundred. Yeah, and it says so here on the bill. It says so on the bill. So what they do is the vulture funds will go in and buy these Argentinians' IOUs, right? Yeah, and what they will do then is they will try to extract everything from Argentina's assets. Yeah." So they'll end up impounding planes owned by the Argentinian government. 
aerolinas argentinas, right? Yeah. So these are so these are like the bailiffs. They send the, the bailiffs in. Yeah, and this is this is a this is the scummy end of finance, yeah. right? And I remember dealing with these guys when they were buying Russian debt at five cents in the dollar, but they hadn't the balls to go to Russia and ask for the money because the Russians would have actually arrested them. Right. Do you know what I mean? But they were playing that game and then they were hoping the IMF would buy them out. And it's it's a game of chicken, right? That you threaten profoundly everybody. Now, where they came in in Ireland was when all the houses were defaulted on and all the office blocks, right? Yeah. And so Bank of Ireland was owed, let's say, a hundred million by some developer. And then that developer defaulted. So the paper was then worth nothing. But so the paper, the, the debt then collapsed to maybe four or five cents in the dollar, sure. right? But the asset was still there, the apartment block in town or whatever. So the vulture firms came in then and they bought those assets. And then they have been the people who are sweating the assets here, right? right. Okay. They're not, so the guys, like for example, Heinz is the big American one they're talking about. These are property developers who are hugely capitalized. And their business is landlordism, right? They buy yeah, and yeah. they build. Now, I'm kind of conflicted here because I understand that we need to have, we want to have a home-owning democracy. And I understand that's what people want. Yeah, right? yeah. But I also understand that sometimes a housing market, an entire housing market has to be bits of all sorts of things. There has to be homeowners, there have to be renters, there have to be long-term leases, there have to be short-term leases. Sure, sure. And I think they have a role, not a dominant one, but a role in the financing. Yeah, it's, it's just about control, isn't it? It's about control and it's about this sense and it's a deep Irish thing because of the land league and because of landlordism yeah. of who owns the land. And I can understand that. But I think in the 21st century, you've got to accept that there are loads of different ways of financing. And some of those might be unpalatable to you. But if something is not going to get built because of a want of finance, then if your dilemma is not enough building, you kind of got to hold your nose at certain areas. That's yeah. my sense, right? So then tell me, tell us, what's the long-term view here? Do you think, as a, on paper, this all looks great? And it's, and it's a really good Not start. Not great, but, but it's like, it can be delivered on. It can be delivered on. I mean, the big omission is the site value tax. It's the thing that I believe would really help us. Right. And the site value tax is what's called the Henry George, this guy who wrote that book. In, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah in 1880. I can never remember his name, yeah, actually. But. Yeah, yeah. But it was an amazing book called Poverty and Progress. And he believes, and so do I, that one of the essential reasons for poverty is land ownership, is excessive land ownership. Mm. And the idea that land will can generate returns from being idle. And his idea is that land is a resource like we are, humans are, right? And capital is and, and, and machines are. Sure. And that it should only pay if it has been used, right? So therefore, his idea is that you have a, a site value tax. So you say the site upon which this house is built is, let's say, worth 50 grand, right? Yeah. And you tax that all the time. And what that means is that if you're taxing land, nobody will let land be idle because then you just pay the tax with no income. So everybody will be enthused and encouraged to actually build on the land. And every single site should have a tax. 
He also makes the point, which is very good, which is take the difference between a house in Darndale and a house in Dublin 4. Mm. The actual bricks and mortar of the house in Darndale and the house in Dublin 4 are probably more or less the same. Sure, right? yeah. But the difference in price is the site. And location. then he says... Yeah, location, then he, location, location, location. And then he's saying, yeah, but what makes location? Right, what makes location are, is public infrastructure. So you look at Dublin 4. What actually makes Dublin 4 really swanky is it's got big hospital. Yeah. It's got a big university. Yeah. It's got the Aviva. It's got really good public infrastructure. It's got two or three DART stations. It's got loads of buses. Who pays for all that? Not the people in Dublin 4, the general taxpayer. So the people in yes. Dublin 4 benefit from the tax dollars, euros of everybody else. Also think about all the streets in Dublin 4. They're patrolled by cops. They've got lighting yeah. by the ESB. Who pays for all that? They've got great sewerage. They don't pay for it. So the house in Dublin 4 that is worth a huge amount of money is not a function of the amount of effort the owner puts in, but the amount of effort society puts in. The right. house in Darndale, yes, the house in Darndale is cheap because society doesn't care about Darndale. What I'm saying, Darndale might be a nice place, yeah. but what I'm saying is the reason Darndale is cheap and Dublin 4 is expensive has got nothing to do with the property, but the location. Yeah. So therefore, you've got to rip estate agents out of the narrative who talk about location, 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 because <laughs> yeah. you've got to realize we create the location. You take the Dart, St. Vincent's Hospital and UCD out of Dublin 4, it's a much less attractive place. Yeah. Right? It's a big old main road going through it. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So his idea was it also, the site value tax also captures communal gains and rather than giving them to the rich individuals, gives them back to the community. And I think we could have done that. I think that would have been really, really progressive. However, what it would have demanded is that next year, every single homeowner in Ireland pays some site value tax. And what you've noticed, which is hilarious, is that even the left in Ireland yeah. won't have a property tax. Even though every other country in the world, the most left idea is you tax property and you don't tax workers. Because yes. Marx said workers are sacrosanct yeah. and property owners are dirty capitalists. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet all the Marxists, like the Shinners, they won't have a property tax because <laughs> they know they can't win at the election. Right? And then the implication is, okay, well, then we just tax labor because you've got to tax something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we come back, John. The plan, it's very easy to torpedo these things in the media straight away. Yeah. And say, I've gone through this, that, and the other, and I found out, you know, a little thing and, and I don't like it, right? There's a lot of shite in this. The equity to buy thing is bullshit, right? Yeah. Anything that encourages demand in a market where supply is the problem is silly. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of silly stuff in here. But there's a lot of good stuff too. And if you tease it out, and if you're if you're actually objective, and if you're actually non-ideological, and if you actually go in and say, okay, is this a good plan? I think you've got to conclude it's not a bad effort. And not a bad effort should not be dismissed simply because it's not perfect. Because nothing's perfect. And the housing market is weird. And I'll end on this point, is that if you don't build enough houses, the market becomes contorted because the houses that used to be reserved for the middle are bought by the richer people. Yeah. And the houses that used to be reserved for poorer people are bought by the middle people, which is why young professional couples live in old council houses. Yeah. Council houses were built for poor people. 
Now you have rich people living in council houses. Yeah. Why? Because not enough houses are being built. And then the problem is the people who used to be in council houses end up in precarious rent. And that's only one step away from homelessness. So you can see how the whole thing works. It's like a, it's, it's a back to our idea of a sensitive ecosystem. Yeah. So build posh houses for posh people. Don't start shouting and roaring and saying, I can't believe these are being built for rich people. Rich people will live in rich houses. But then you take them out of the middle market. You put them in the rich market. So fancy pants apartments and penthouses. Let them live there and let them pay them a fortune, mm, right? Yeah. Because you take them out of the middle. That allows the middle earners to live in the middle. Then the middle earners get away from the low earners and stop strangling the low earners out of old council houses. And the market begins to work. The problem in Ireland is it's so ideological that if some developer says, I'm going to build, you know, a big swanky pants, chrome and steel apartment block on the Liffey for rich people, all the people who supposedly support poor people say, oh, you can't have that, we're objecting. Yeah. Then you say, okay, well, then we'll build anything. And then the rich people buy the middle thing, and the middle people buy the poor thing, and the poor people end up in precarious rent. So it's like society. You've got to build lots for rich, for poor, for young, for old, and for the in-betweeners. And if that's what this plan is going towards, well, then it's a good thing. Because we should never, ever, ever, John, I come back to that point, let the good be bullied by the perfect. To all you Patreons out there, thank you so much for supporting us. We couldn't do this without your support. It means a huge amount to us. Also, all your feedback, your suggestions, your comments, our comments to you, our replies to you, really is the essence of the whole thing. So, again, thank you very much. And for all of you who might want to support us, check us out. Patreon.com forward slash David Mike Williams. <laughs>